You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be tonight. Um, I had planned to be back in the book of James this evening um, but with our recent emphasis on outreach, um, I just I couldn't get away from preaching on this subject one more time. And uh, I was ready for James tonight, uh, but just couldn't get away from Colossians 4. I've been thinking about this passage quite a bit this week. For some reason, it's been on my mind a lot. Um, and yesterday, right before track team, um, I actually went through a couple of these verses before, they, before the teams went out. Um, just as a reminder of, of opening gospel doors. And uh, I preached on this text. Actually, I preached on this text during COVID, um, specifically then applying it to how things were at that time, uh, because Paul was under house arrest in Colossians 4. And I thought that would be an appropriate thing to preach on, is how to still pray that God would open gospel doors when we're kind of stuck at home. And so the application tonight will be a little bit different, but it's just as valid and I, you know, I've said this before. You, you wonder why, um, why, we, why I would preach another message on outreach. Um, but I believe we're at an important crossroads. I've said that before. You know, with the transitional nature of our city and all of the, the people moving in, Sioux Falls is growing um, at record paces. Uh, our neighborhoods are growing. I just feel there's a, such an urgency. And there should be an urgency on, the, on behalf of God's people... Um, to reach the, those that are moving in or those that are in transition, those that live in our neighborhoods, those that we work with. I believe we have a greater chance of reaching them before they get settled into their new, their new schedules, their new routines. Uh, I don't know how it is for you, but when I'm in transition uh, and things aren't settled for me, I'm, I'm open to some new ideas. And if we could plant some gospel seeds in their lives and invite them to church... You know, we, we could help them to understand that at a time like this, that a church family, that is, that's actually more essential than where you enroll your kids in school. You know, your church family is more essential in the long run than setting up your utilities. I mean, most people are thinking about, I've got to hook up my power and I need some water at my house. Um, but a church family, uh, God's investment in their lives, that's more important than uh, whether, whether or not the lights come on. I know that sounds a little extreme, but in the end, it's true. Uh, a church family is more essential than painting that bedroom or, or changing the flooring. And so if we can get them uh, while they're in that transitional phase, if we, could, if we could convince them that they need the influence, the emphasis of a place that targets their spirit, that targets their walk with God, not just their physical, their bodies, and, and, and their personal growth. No, this is something that you need in your life as much as you need food. This is something as much, uh, you need this as much as you need anything else. And most people consider it that it's more important to sign their kids up for soccer than it is to find a church to adjust their spiritual needs. That's just the nature of the culture we live in. But we've got to be about our Father's business, folks. And our Father is in the business of souls. So how do we put ourselves in the best position to see gospel doors open? That's what Paul is dealing with here in Colossians 4. So I'd like to stand and read a few verses here. And it won't be as long or lengthy as it was this morning. But I'd like to see a few verses here that, that give us some very practical ways that we can see the gospel doors opened more effectively. How we can have an impact on the opening of gospel doors. It'll be a very practical message and practical thought tonight, but I think it'll be a help to us. Uh, let's read this. Beginning in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer 
every man. Paul's message is simple here, is that you can't change the gospel, but you can make it more effective. And tonight, with our hearts focused on the doors opening to us here in Sioux Falls, let's decide to take whatever steps necessary to make the gospel as effective as possible. That's our heart tonight. That's what I want to look at. Again, very simple thought, in it, but I, a, hopeful, a helpful message um, if, if God would allow it to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word, and I pray that you'd help this message to be um, impactful and help us to see the importance of opening gospel doors. And God, we can't kick them open, but we can do some things that would help those gospel doors to be opened more effectively. And I pray that you'd help us tonight to be willing to submit ourselves to these truths and uh, where we fall short, Lord, to help to ask you to help make up the gap and to help change us, transform us from where we are to where we ought to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I remember some years ago I was at... Um, I was at the DMV in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and I, I don't remember, I think that I was, um, I was renewing my license or um, something along those lines. It was one of those things I had to go and sit and wait. And you say, well, you always have to wait at the DMV, and, and yes, so no matter what you're doing, you have to sit there and wait. So I was sitting there and waiting for the, the DM, uh, waiting for my number to get called, and I think I was number 400, and they were on number six or something like that, and so I knew I had some time. So while I was waiting there, they had uh, the doors that, that came in. There was a breezeway, and then there was a set of glass doors. And next to the doors, there were window panes that looked just like the doors. So kind of like in the back here, you've got glass doors. And then next to it, you've got these windows that kind of look like doors. And there was no bar across the middle. So it just looked like it, it, looked like it was open, really. But it wasn't. Maybe you know the, where this is going. So there was a lady, and uh, she came walking in with all kinds of confidence, and she hit that window with confidence, boom, right in her forehead, boom, and the whole room just stopped and looked at her, and so, you know, she's grabbing her forehead, and, and she looks at the room, and, you know, and at that point, there are two kinds of people. There are those that just own it, and there are those that run away. And she was one of those that ran away. <laughs> she turned around and with just as much urgency, she left the DMV. And for the extra four hours that I sat there, I don't think I saw her come back in. So in my imagination, here's, what, here's the scenario. Okay? Maybe you do this too. My imagination was that this lady has been waiting to take her driver's license test her whole adult life. And she's been studying for months, maybe even years, to take the test. She's taken all the practice tests on, online, and she's passed all of them with flying colors. And she is finally ready to get her license. So that morning, she wakes up. She's feeling good. She parks her car in the parking lot of the DMV. She walks out, and with swag, she walks up to the building, opens the door to the, free, the breezeway, and she's going right to the machine that gives you the number, only before she gets there, boom, right into the glass. And all of her hopes and dreams are shattered. Her confidence is gone, and she walks right back out the door. You know, I don't know if that's exactly what happened, but she was so embarrassed I never saw her the rest of the time I was there. Here's the point. It's kind of hard to walk through unopened doors. You say, that's very obvious. <laughs> when I was a kid, I remember my parents had the bright idea of installing a brand new storm door. And one day I was running into the house like I did. The door was open. I forgot that they installed a storm door and boom. The next day, the half my face was bruised. You know, you cannot open through, you cannot walk through unopened doors. And Paul knows you don't walk through doors that aren't open. And that's why in Colossians 4, he's asking them to pray for a door of utterance to be open. A door of the word, a, a words that he would have opportunities. Why is that necessary? Well, the end of verse 3 helps us, clear, helps us clear it up when he says, For which also I'm in bonds. He is at, under house arrest. 
He is writing this letter chained to a prison guard. He's in, in, a, in a house prison. He's in prison in Rome. And, and what I find interesting is what he's concerned about. Listen, he's, he's thinking about the souls of those around him. He's thinking about his responsibility to give the gospel. He's not praying, pray that God would release me from prison. He's not asking them, pray that God would, would get me out of here so that I could go preach the gospel in other places. No, he's saying, I, I'm not asking for my circumstances to be changed. I'm simply asking that doors would be open where I'm at. That God would give me opportunities where I am to share the gospel. And a lot of times that's, we, we can be this way that we think that I would share the gospel if my circumstances were different. You know, if I, if you should meet the people I work with. I'm not, I'm using it as an example. I work with Judy and Samuel. So, I mean, but you know, some people are like, I, you should meet the people I work with. I mean, if God would just take me to a different place, I could actually give the gospel. These people, they don't want to hear it. Uh, well, well, according to what Paul prays, you shouldn't pray for your circumstances to be changed. You should pray for doors of utterance to be opened. Right. It, it's not about changing your position or changing where you live or changing where you work. It's about asking God to open doors for the gospel. It, it, you know, it used to be that Paul could just walk right into a city and go right to a synagogue and start teaching and preaching. Well, not anymore because he's chained to a guard. He, did, he can't do it the way that he used to do it. But it doesn't mean that the calling of the Great Commission is no longer valid. Listen, if you're a disciple, you are called to make disciples. You have a responsibility to make disciples. Unfortunately, most of God's people are better at making excuses. And I'm not trying to sound harsh tonight. I'm just giving you, you the reality. I'm also just letting you know how I feel sometimes. It's easier to make excuses than it is disciples. It's easier to say, well, it's colder today, so I'm not going to go out. It's easier to say, well, my coworker, I want to keep an open line of communication, so I don't want to talk to him today about the gospel because I don't want him to shut it down and, and we lose our relationship. No, we have a tendency to make excuses, but I want to challenge you with this question. If you're making excuses, answer the question, where's the disciple that you've made? I mean, look around the room. Where's, where's the person that you've led to the Lord? Where's the person that's at Eastside because of your influence? Because I, I'm telling you, I'm just trying to be, I know it's going to be very sober, that question. But if our calling is to reproduce ourselves in other people, where are they? I mean, if, if we have the responsibility to reproduce ourselves in disciples then all of us should have some fruit from that. But I would, I would venture to say that our church is probably similar to many churches in that there are a lot of us that it's hard to point to somebody that's here because of us. Where's the soul that you've won? And who's here because of you? Because we may get to the place that we think we're doing okay, but if you look around and you don't see any evidence of your calling to make disciples, it may be time to refocus. See, the truth is, we should desire not just to share the gospel, but that in our sharing of the gospel, that it would be effective. I mean, nobody likes to be ineffective. How would you like for that to be the description of you? It's like if you're getting, going in for your annual review at work... And they're writing out, okay, here are the things that I think of when I think of, of, of you at work. And, and say, okay, first word that comes to my mind, um, I would say probably ineffective. I mean, that would, be a, that, man, that would be devastating, wouldn't it? To be called ineffective at what you do. Nobody wants to be ineffective at work. Nobody wants to be ineffective as a dad. I don't want to be ineffective as a dad. I, I know my wife doesn't want to be ineffective as a mom. Sometimes you feel ineffective, but, but you're not striving to be ineffective. You don't want to be an ineffective, ineffective spouse. You don't want to be an ineffective student. You don't want to be ineffective in your ministry. You want to make a difference. You want it to, to work. And too many people, though, who would never say it out loud, are content to be ineffective in, in, in the area of the gospel. I mean, the one area that God says applies to every one of us, that we should all be reproducing ourselves in the form of disciples, then, then, but we're kind of okay with where we are. 
Well, truth is, there's enough working against the gospel that, uh, that already makes it ineffective. So why would then God's people be content to be ineffective at it? We ought to say, you know what, there's a lot working against it, but I'm deciding today, I'm not gonna, it's not going to be because of me. I'm going to do everything I can to be effective as a gospel witness, to be effective in the Great Commission, to be effective in reaching somebody that, that I know needs to be reached, either in my family or at work or my neighbor or somebody I just meet on the street. I want to be effective in my witness. And you know what? It's a good thing for us that Paul addresses how to increase the effectiveness of the gospel right here. Now listen, he's not telling us how to change the gospel. The gospel doesn't change. But its effectiveness can be affected by ineffective disciples. So he gives us three simple ways to increase the effect of the gospel. And he says, number one here, he says, pray expectantly. Pray expectantly. Look at verse 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the uh, mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. You know, the Bible, Paul is saying the gospel deserves a certain kind of prayer. Continue means to be persistent, to hold fast and not let go. And here's what we do when it comes to gospel prayer. We know that somebody needs to be saved. And we pray for them for a week. But after a week, we're like, well, they're not going to get saved. So we move on. That's not continuing in prayer. Continue is to be persistent when you pray. And if you have a dog, then you know what this is like. We have a little dog, okay? And, and yet our little dog is persistent if you have a rope or something she wants to hold on to. And I think I've used it as an illustration before, but I love to swing that dog around on a rope. Because she won't let go. Maybe your dog is too big for that. Well, we have, we have a small dog, which I'm not very proud to say it, but we do. But, you know, it's kind of fun to throw a little dog around. So, you know, there are advantages. You know, but she holds on to something, a rope or something, she will not let go. But God's people ought to pray that doggedly. That's a real word, by the way. You ought to pray that doggedly. You ought to be that persistent when there's somebody that needs to be saved. And I want to ask you, if your name was on the list, how would you want somebody to pray for you? Would you want somebody to pray a few times and then move on? Or would you want them to be dogged? Would you want them to be persistent? See, I'm afraid not only do we not pray persistently, I'm wondering if we, sometimes if we pray at all. But, but the gospel and prayer go hand in hand. Uh, last year at our, men's, our, at our missions revival, Brother Bruce Humbert preached on prayer every night. And he didn't really even address as much missions as he did prayer. But it fit perfectly because the Bible says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. The gospel and prayer go hand in hand. Uh, they, they walk together in the work. We ought to be persistent in our prayers for open doors when it comes to the gospel. Don't just pray once. Pray continually. Pray persistently. Pray doggedly. He also says watch in the same in verse 2. Watch means to stay alert. It means to be wakeful. Literally, we ought to stay awake and not fall asleep during prayer. And you say, well, I can't believe Paul would get that, that down to the nitty gritty like that. Well, I'm telling you, that's, that is literally an issue. I mean, I, there are mornings I wake up and, and my struggle is to stay awake while I'm praying. And I start with coffee and everything and it doesn't even seem to help. I mean, it's hard. I mean, the, the apostles, they, the night that Jesus was crucified and arrested, they were in the garden and they couldn't stay awake. I mean, it's an issue. And Paul, though, is saying that, that, the, that the importance of the gospel and the door that should be opening is so big and so much bigger than our, our sleepiness. It's so much bigger than our drowsiness. And what he's saying is be serious when you pray. Watch when you pray. Be on the, on the lookout for the things that, that you ought to pray for. It's the opposite of complacency. It means we're deliberate in our prayer. Be grateful when you pray. He even says, uh, with all, uh, he says, watching the same with thanksgiving. Our prayer life should always be sprinkled with an attitude of gratitude. 
You know, and here's why. When you're thinking about all the things God has done for you, it'll make you pray more seriously. I mean, be, be careful for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, he says. Let your request be made known unto God. I believe that taking the time in prayer to thank God makes us more expectant people. And see, here's the thing. If you're praying and you're thanking God for what he's done in your life, it will help you to, th- to think, but if you've done that for me, you could do it for them too. I mean, I look around. There's some people on your list of sal- for salvation, and, and, and they're, they would be called underdogs. They would be considered um, you know, the free agents, not the drafted ones. There are some people on the list, and, you know, we put them on the list, but secretly we kind of think, well, but they're not. They're probably not going to get saved. I mean, not that one. And yet, you can look around the room, and there's some people that are sitting in this room saved. I mean, children of God, they're leading their families uh, for right. And at some point, somebody would have said, well, they're, they're probably not going to get saved. No, listen, if you're thinking about what God did for you in salvation, what it, that will do is it will make you more expectant in your prayer because you're thinking, if God did that for me, he can do that for them. Yeah. Right. If God did that in my life, there's no reason that God would be limited in their life. Do we pray with expectation? Do we pray expecting or do we just pray because it's a list? What else does Paul pray for? Well, in verses 3 and 4, we already talked about this. He prays for an open door, a door of utterance. That doors would be open for him. He was bound. He was a prisoner. He was hindered in his life's work by preaching. And I believe that Paul was one of those guys that no, no matter where he went, he couldn't help but preach. Uh, he said in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And yet there are plenty of us that say, yeah, woe is unto me if I have to preach the gospel. But Paul was one of those guys that everywhere he went, he was one of those guys. He probably told everybody about it. Woe unto me if I can't preach the gospel. He was born to preach. He just had to do it. And it's kind of like if you've ever done this, you know, you talk to somebody that always talks with their hands. Have you ever met somebody that always talks with their hands? And they, it's like if you held their arms, they'd be like. Uh, uh, I think that's how Paul was when it comes to preaching. If he couldn't preach, it was like he just wasn't even alive. Woe unto me, necessity is laid upon me if I preach not the gospel. That was his take. And what's interesting, again, is he's not asking for a change of circumstances. He just wants an open door. He's in prison, and yet he wants an open door. Actually, that's not a bad request if you're in prison. You might be praying for open doors a lot. So, Lord, pray that this door is open randomly. No, Paul's determination for the gospel was incredible. Think about his trials. I mean, his persecution... And think about the things that he went, to, went through. When I imagine P- Paul toward the end of his life, and this is toward the end of his life, and, and, and all the times he'd been beaten and stoned and, and bones broken and shipwrecked and all of those things. And I mean, I can imagine when Paul, I mean, I don't know what he looked like, but I imagine he walked in a frail way. Somebody who just had been beaten up for the gospel. And yet here he is at the end of his life and he's accomplished more than all of us put together and he's still saying, just pray for another open door. Just pray that I could get, that I could get one more opportunity to tell somebody. He could have settled where he was and, and we would have been like, he's the MVP. I mean, he wins all the awards and yet in his mind it wasn't good enough. Because he wasn't doing it to beat everybody else. He was doing it to please this, his Savior. And when it comes to serving God, there's really no, no point at which we reach the finish line. Because we serve a God who, we can't, who can't be measured. And, his, and the distance he came for us can't be measured. And so when it comes to serving him, there's no point in our lives where we can get to the place where we're like, okay, you know what, I've done enough. No, there's, there's always a finish line ahead of us. And we never quite get to it. You know, but here's Paul with excuse after excuse he could have made. And yet none of those stopped him from having a heart for the lost. And yet we're like, well, you know what? I work Saturdays. 
I know that's a real thing. I do. But does that change your calling as a disciple? Does it change your calling with the Great Commission to work Saturdays? So to that, I would say, oh, I get that. I, I know. So go a different day. Say, well, I'm shy. No, listen, there are no exemption waivers for personality when it comes to the gospel. If you're a disciple, you have a calling. You say, well, I don't know what to say. You have to be willing to learn, and you can. There are people that don't have your wisdom and your brains and your intelligence that have learned how to present the gospel and learned you have to saturate yourself with God's word enough to know what it says. See, Paul understood that expectant prayer is the key that unlocks gospel doors and people's hearts are prepared through prayer. Divine appointments to witness to people are arranged through prayer. The, the ability to speak the right words in the right moment, it's enabled through prayer. The work of the gospel starts on our knees. Are we praying for the gospel to take effect? Amen. When's the last time you made the work of the gospel a meaningful part of your prayer life? If it's not, then it's no wonder that there aren't more involved in outreach or there aren't many, as many responding for salvation at invitation. It's no wonder that people that we're inviting aren't, aren't really compelled to come or that your family or your co-workers brush it off when you invite them. Because if we're not involving that work in prayer, if we're not bathing it in prayer, if we're not saturating it in prayer, then the gospel is less effective. Have you taken the work of the gospel and that condition of that soul before God in prayer with the determination to hold on and not let go until God does a work in their life? That's how we're supposed to approach it. And if the message of the gospel is not bathed in the expectant prayer of God's people, don't expect closed doors to start opening. You can't walk through closed doors. But even today, you can be involved in the most important work of the gospel. You can pray. Friend, you can pray. Look around the room and, you know, we've got, some, we've got some gray hair and some white hair. We've also got some no hair. <laughs> Tyler. Okay, I'm not going to. He was talking about that this morning. We had a bunch of guests come this morning and, and they were like four young guys. And Tyler was just like fanning over their hair. He's like, man, I see all this beautiful hair to you guys. And they're kind of like, okay. And I looked at him and was like, oh, okay, it's Tyler. You know, he's all bald. He's like, I used to have hair like that. So they'll be back. It's fine. Yeah, I'm sure. No, but I mean, gray hair, white hair. And you say, well, I, I can't really go on track team anymore. But you know, the most important thing our church will ever do when it comes to the work of the gospel is to bathe it in prayer. And so at 10 o'clock on Saturday mornings, those in our church that, you, that can't do it anymore, maybe you used to, but you can't now, you know what you can be doing? You can be on your knees. And you can be begging God to take every seed that gets planted, every track that gets handed out, every word that gets spoken to take effect in somebody's life. So how do we have impact the effect of the gospel? Well, you start by praying expectantly, but number two, you, we also need to walk carefully. So you pray expectantly, and number two, walk carefully. Look at verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom toward, those, toward them that are without redeeming the time. So walk in wisdom. See, the word walk, it means our conduct. It's our behavior. And Paul is saying that we need to conduct our lives with wisdom. Well, where do you get wisdom to live your life? Dr. Phil. Obviously, clearly. No, I mean, I, nobody was going to answer it, so I was like, well, I'll just throw one out there. No, where do you get it? Where do you get the wisdom to live, to live your life? You get it from God's word. The life of a child of God should reflect the wisdom of God, and this is where we get the wisdom of God. Everything about your life should point to the truth of God's word. Why? Because the world is taking notes, and they act like they don't care, but I'm telling you, they're watching you. Walk in wisdom, he says, toward them that are without. Meaning that, the, I mean, you live before God. You do what you do for God. But, but the people around you watch every step you take. You walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Without means the lost. It means those that, that aren't part of the church family. The lost see what we are. They, and many times their response to the gospel is dependent on what they've seen in the life of somebody who calls themselves a Christian. 
Matthew 5, 16. And these two are connected. Your works and somebody's receptivity of the gospel are connected. Let your light so shine before men. Quote it. Ready? Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So there is a connection. You know, we, we've got to be careful um, because there, there are some that say, well, you, you don't tell the gospel, you live the gospel, and that's good enough. Well, that's not what we're talking about. No, you live the gospel, and then when you tell somebody the gospel, the way that you've lived has not contradicted the gospel, it's confirmed the gospel. And so they see your good works, they glorify your Father which is in heaven. You've walked in wisdom toward those that are without. And so now they're thinking, okay, you know, there is something different about them. There is something unique about them. There is something about their, their walk. There's wisdom to how they live their lives. I mean, everything that you do as a disciple, it's being scrutinized. I mean, your response to the trials, it's being watched. How you handle your finances, people take note. Uh, how you're raising your children, how your children behave, how you speak to strangers, how, how you respond when you're wrong. Everything that you do either contradicts or confirms your claim to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And people are taking notes. They're watching. Those without, they see what we do and they make conclusions about our God based on how we live our lives. And if you're walking in wisdom, Paul says you're redeeming the time. Redeem the time. This means make the most of the opportunity. Friends, we have 70 years or maybe 80 years or, or maybe a 90-year window to make the most of our lives. That's it. And the longer I'm alive, the, the more I realize how short of a time that is. And these young people down here, they think, man, I got all kinds of time. No, you'll blink and it'll be, all, it'll be half over. It, it, I mean, it, your life goes just like that. Your life is a vapor. It's unbiblical to think you've got all the time in the world because you don't. You have maybe a 70-year window. Uh, we've all known young people that had a 15-year window. That's all they got. Or a 20-year window. That's all they got. And listen, you're not going to answer for how long your window is. You're going to answer for what you did with the window you had. And some of us are waiting for the window to open a little bit more. Or we're waiting for a different window. God's not asking us uh, to change windows. And he's not saying to broaden our window. He's saying, no, the window you have is the one you get. Do everything you can for me while that window is open. Because it won't always be open. Redeem the time. Make the most of the opportunity that you have. Because your opportunity someday will come to an end. Are you redeeming your time or are you wasting it? Are you making the most of your time by giving yourself to eternal things? Or, or are you spending your time on things that are, are wood, hay, and stubble? I'm telling you, we've never been in a culture that has more options for time wasting than the culture we live in. And I'm not going to get into all of it. You know what those things are. And parents, you know, our, our, it's the default for our young people is to do things that waste time. I mean, unless you have um, an alien, we have an alien in our house. Her name is Audrey. And Audrey's the kind of kid, I'll come home and she's cleaned out the garage just because. I'm like, what? Who are you? And she, I know she hates this kind of stuff, but this is how she is. Her default, very often, she's like doing something. And Renessa was like, don't you want to just sit like us? It's cold outside. Well, you know, the default for most young people, the default is to do something that wastes their time. So here, as parents, you know, we, I'm, I, I really, we're trying to, we try to do this. I try to do this. It doesn't always work. But you know what I want to do? I want to give them an, op- an opportunity to do something that's not just a time waster. And, and that's why we have them in things like music lessons or something like that that would give them an opportunity as an outlet to invest their time in something that they can use for God someday. And, and just, you know, not to lift her up, but, you know, but Audrey played, Audrey played for the choir today. And, and I'm thankful for that. And again, it's, it's not about lifting her up as much as it is to say, parents, uh, your, your kids are already good at wasting time. 
And we're coming into the summer season where more time is wasted than any other season. So let's give them something to do that's not a time waster. They're already good at that. So don't promote that and say, well, okay, you know, you're already good at this, but you're already good at it. Let's just do some more of this. No, give them something to counter that. And it doesn't have to be anything even spiritual. It could be very practical, but just consider that they, they have a window of time. They help them redeem their time. We ought to redeem our time. Walk in wisdom. That's how Paul says we redeem our time in the gospel. We walk in wisdom. We don't waste our time. We pray expectantly, we walk carefully, but finally, we speak deliberately. Number three, we speak deliberately. So we pray expectantly, walk carefully, and three, speak deliberately. Look at verse six. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. You know what? Our words should be full of grace. Say, so what does that mean? Well, that, it, grace is that which affords joy or pleasure or delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. I'm telling you, this is a battle sometimes, even in a family. That our words with each other, and I mean, siblings, sometimes, I mean, it's like every word is a barb. Siblings, uh, you know, it's, it's unbiblical for you to speak to your siblings. With, with something that's not seasoned with grace. It's unbiblical and it's ungodly for you to talk to each other in any way that's not uplifting. It's unbiblical, it's ungodly for husbands and wives. It's unbiblical and ungodly to speak to each other in a way that's not seasoned, it's not full of grace, seasoned with salt. And yet sometimes, isn't it strange how the ones that get the brunt of our of our, of our most hateful speech and words sometimes are the ones that we love the most? The ones that live in our own household? I mean, we'll go to Taco Bell and we'll talk to the, to the person at the counter more kindly than we will when we get back in the car. And that's a shame. So I know that's, that's how life is. Sometimes you take each other for granted, but it shouldn't be that way. Our words should be that which affords joy and delight with people. Look around. How, how, how often do you spot people with speech that's full of kindness? Words or a tone that leads to joy. I mean, I'm not seeing it. Are you? I hope. I, I don't know. Places that you're not going to find kind, gracious speech. You're not going to see it on the news. You're not going to see it in press conferences. You're not going to see it on talk radio. You're not going to see it on Twitter. I know that. I mean, you're not going to see it on social media. You're not going to see it in the Walmart lines. You're not going to hear it. I mean, people are so ready to, to, to hear something hateful. I mean, one time I was standing at the Walmart pharmacy line, and, and there was a, a guy in front of me, a few, people, a few people in front of me. I think, again, I was number six and among 400 again it's just i wait in line a lot that's what i do so i was waiting in line for the pharmacy and there's a guy up at the front and he was and he was trying to work something out with this person and in my mind i mean i guess i'm just uh, i don't know clueless or something i was whistling i was whistling i mean a church song just whistling just kind of spent you know kind of taking my time you know or using my time wisely i guess i thought he turns around and he yells at me in front of everybody. I'm going as fast as I can. Would you stop whistling? I was like, just, okay. I thought whistling was a joyful thing. This guy thought I was making a point with my whistling. He say, that's crazy. No, that's the culture we live in. We're so, everything's just on the surface, ready to be triggered. Just like that. And you, can, I mean, you can't whistle and not have somebody assume that you're a bad person now, apparently. But listen, those without, that guy, he, he was, he's somebody, certainly I'm sure without. Meaning he's not part of the church family. And he probably doesn't have anybody speak kindly to him, Ever. He probably doesn't have anybody speak to him with any kind of grace. 
He doesn't have anybody that seasons their words with salt when they talk to him. So no wonder he's triggered like that. But, if, but listen, but if they're going to hear it, they, they need to hear it from somewhere. And where are they going to hear it if not from God's people? Where are they going to hear it? There are a few things more helpful than the right words and the right tone at the right time. And I'm telling you, most people aren't getting that anywhere these days. Pleasant words are as in honeycomb. They're sweet to the soul and health to the bones, the Bible says. So there is a way to speak to somebody with grace and a way not to. Not just your words, but also your tone. And apparently the, the tone with which we speak to people, it affects the gospel. It makes a difference that we, if we speak with grace and that our words are seasoned with salt. And have you ever been around somebody who seems to make every comment is a barb? Every comment is a caustic word. Every word stings. Don't be, you know, if you want to stand out in this culture, don't be condescending. Don't speak impatiently. Don't be angry. Don't be frustrated because everybody else is doing that. And that's not grace. And if we're going to speak in a way that stands out from the world, we must speak with grace. Speak to others with kindness and grace because it's rare. There are two places, though, you should find it. You should find it in the Christian home and you should find it in a Christian church. There's no other place where that's going to be found. Grace refers not only to the manner, but the tone and the words and, and the subject. Talk about the things of God. Talk about the things of God at home and at, at school and at work. It's okay. You, you still, kids, if you go to public school, you still have the freedom to talk about God at school. So do it. Seasoned with salt means it has the effects like salt has on food. And I, I, my, my wife is a saltaholic. I was thinking about starting RU just because. She salts it before she tastes it, which means she's presumptuous, I guess. Somebody said once. You know, you put salt on meat to make it more acceptable. Grace does that same with our speech. You know, you, there's something you could say the same thing two different ways to somebody. And one way will have them punch you in the nose. And the other way will have you walking away from best friends. Work on how you say things. Be kind. Because again, I'm telling you that the people that we're trying to win, nobody speaks to them with kindness. And if you wonder about that, just drive around. Yeah, I mean, so just a couple days ago, we were driving around and somebody literally cut us off. If I hadn't slammed on my brakes, we would have hit them. And so I beeped the horn. You would have thought that I just offended their family based on their response. But you know, I'm trying to warn them, hey, I'm coming here, they're trying to think, well, everyone else is just trying to pick a fight, so I'm just going to fight back. That's not what I was trying to do, but that's how triggered people are. They're ready for a fight at any moment, and if somebody is going to be seasoned with grace and salt in their words, it should be us. You know, that ye may know, he says, that here's another way you can use your words, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. You know, one way to make the gospel more effective is not just the tone and it's not just the words, it's that we have the right answers. One way to redeem your time, friend, is to become more familiar with this book. How acquainted are you with God's truth? Do you know what you believe and why? How much time have you spent in God's word the last month? Could you give somebody the gospel if you were called upon See, our time in the word, it's not expendable. It is absolutely essential. And we often, though, think if something comes up, I can just do that later. I'll squeeze it in when I can. If I'm tired, I'll just kind of work it in. No, our mindset should be, if I'm not in the word, I can't be right with God. And if I'm not in the word, I can't have an answer to those around me that are searching for it. And there may be somebody in one moment that comes up and they need an answer that I have. And if I'm not in the word and I'm not walking in wisdom and I don't have the answer, then I may not have the answer they need. So God, please help me not to waste my time. Help me to redeem my time by being in your word and knowing what to say. Because there may come a moment in life that is absolutely essential that I know what to say from your word. That should be our attitude. Who's going to open this book and preach the gospel if not us? And who's going to answer the tough questions if not us? And who's going to be the voice of reason in a time of chaos if it's not us? See, the only way to answer every man is to love, them, is to love and know this book because it has the answers. Do I know those answers? 
You know, one interesting point about verse 3 when Paul says a door of utterance is that Paul speaks of the gospel in a way that makes it clear that it's hidden by default. Meaning, the gospel by default is a mystery. The gospel by default, in its, in its just natural form, it's hidden. It's not, it's not natural, it's not visible. So here it is, the default position for the gospel is that the doors are closed. And we need some disciples. What Paul is saying is that it's possible though for doors to be open, but it's going to take some people, some disciples that are willing to put in some efforts to see those doors get open. Otherwise, the gospel remains hidden from those that need to hear it. Does that mean we change the gospel? No. Does it mean we kick down the doors? No. Does it mean we're responsible for somebody's response? No. That's up to the Holy Spirit. But we can help the impact of the effect of the gospel. We can improve it by praying expectantly and walking carefully and speaking deliberately. That's what Paul's saying in this text. How good are you doing those things? How well are you doing I didn't ask Brother, Brother Dave Neal, and I hope you'll forgive me if I could use part of your, your illustration, your, your testimony. He asked for prayer for it in, in Sunday school today. But Dave Neal and I, um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about his desire to get better at sharing the gospel. Which I'm thankful that he has a sensitive heart to that. He wants to get better at sharing the gospel and he wants to be able to present the gospel. And, and, and so a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about that and we're trying to set up a time to start working through that. Well, in Sunday school today, he, he mentioned that his brother Gary, who lives back in West Virginia, had another heart attack recently and, and, it, and they almost lost him. But by Dave's testimony, Gary, Gary's not saved. So Dave said that Gary called, did Gary call you last night or did you call Gary? Oh, your other brother called, right about Gary, right. And so they were talking and, and Dave has been able then to, there's a door open with his brother. Dave, Dave was able to share the gospel, I mean, for a lot of time with his brother and he took tracks, right? You took tracks and read him the tracks, and, and Gary was asking questions, and, and, and Gary's like, so Dave used the illustration, it's a great illustration. He said it'd be like, you know, if somebody came up to you, if I came up to you and said, I've got $10,000 to give you, and, and all you have to do is take it. <laughs> that's, how, that's how simple it is. What a great illustration. But his brother's like, but why, why would you want to give it to me? And that's not the point, but that's what his brother's thinking, well, but why would you want to give it to me? But that's exactly the point. Why would God want to give it to us? Why would he want us to be saved? It's because he loves us. And, and Dave's brother, Gary, doesn't quite get the concept yet. But it sounds like he's opening up to it. And Dave said, you know what, I'm going to put some material in the mail and I'll send it to our other brother and he'll come over and he'll read it because his other brother, other brother has a testimony of salvation. But you know, the whole time that Dave was telling that story, that's, that's really kind of in many ways why I chose to preach this for sure tonight is because I was thinking the whole time, you know, when Dave responded a couple weeks ago, I say, I really want to be, I want doors to be open for the gospel in my life. And, and less than two weeks later, God's opening doors with his own family. And I, and I just happen to believe that, that someday, and we can, let's pray about this, but someday Gary, Dave's brother, is going to get saved. And you know where I believe it started? I believe it started a couple Sunday nights ago uh, after the message of preaching on, you know, relate, create, convict, and reveal, and the importance of being able to tell somebody the gospel, and can you tell somebody the gospel, and God prompted Dave's heart to say, I want to start learning about that. Well, be, before he's even really started learning, and really, really nailing it down, God's already opening doors. 
And Dave did a great, had a great idea to give the testimony through a track. And we're going to compile resources and send it to him. And who knows what's going to happen to that. But I just want to tell you that tonight. Because, because if, as soon as you get serious about begging and asking God to open some doors for the gospel in your life, guess what's going to happen? He's going to start opening some. And I hope you're ready for it. I hope you've prepared yourself for it. Because I'm telling you, here's why I hope you're prepared for it. Because number one, the soul on the other end is worth it. But number two, you may only have one shot. And if we're redeeming the time and we're taking seriously the efforts that, and the, the appointments that God places in front of us, then I better be ready because who knows when the door is open and the answer or the person seeking the answer is right there just waiting for somebody. Listen, this, the result of Dave's in Dave's life is the, it's a result of expectant prayer, but it's also the, re, the result of a, of a careful walk because Gary knows there's something different about Dave. He's observed his brother his whole life. And so, therefore, he has a door open because Gary knows what Dave's like. But not only that, though, if you know Dave, then you know that one of his gifts is speech that's, that's full of grace, seasoned with salt. And I happen to believe that we're seeing all three of those things. We've seen expectant prayer, and we're seeing a careful walk, and we're seeing um, a deliberate speech in Dave, and it's opening a door for his brother that someday, I believe, by faith, we're just believing God's going to save him. So listen, how effective has your gospel witness been? Who's here because of you? Is it a lack of prayer? Is it the way you conduct yourself? Is it your speech? What's keeping that, those doors from being open in your life? Because God can transform any of those things today. So why don't you just let him? Why don't you say, hey, God, I want doors to be open, but I know in this area my prayer has not been what it needs to be. Or my conduct hasn't been becoming. Or my speech hasn't been full of grace. And God, I want you to transform those things in my life. And then God, I want you to see. I want you to open some doors. I want to see what happens. And who knows what he has waiting for you around the corner. If you would just come submit those things to him tonight. You can't walk through closed doors. I've tried. Doesn't work. So let's take some steps to see God open some. Pray expectantly. Walk carefully and speak deliberately. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God has placed us here for such a time as this. Eastside Baptist Church is here in this community, in this location, at this time for a reason. And I'm telling you, I don't want to miss the opportunity. And so I'm telling you, I want to pray for open doors. I want to pray expectantly and I want to walk carefully and I want to speak deliberately because who knows what doors God might open for our church in the coming years. I want to be a part of it. Let's pray for doors to be open. Let's pray that God would help us in one of these areas that hasn't been exactly what it needs to be. Let's pray that God would just do something in us and open some doors and let us enjoy the fruit of the work of God in people's lives. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.